0: All right, well, you know that uh, it won't be long, like, boy, six weeks or so. Eh, end of October, however long that is. T and I are going to Israel, and you know that we are fired up about that. It's our 25th wedding anniversary. We get to go to Israel and just get excited about walking where Jesus walked, right? Praying where Jesus prayed. Get to read scripture. And the places that we read about in the Bible that he taught about. So we're getting excited. And I thought that as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, let's just do a couple sermons around Israel. Right? This week and next week. So next week, we're going to talk about the temple. And there was one picture when Tina went on her first trip that I really love. She's sitting on the steps of the temple. Stairs of the temple. So I thought next week we'll, we'll focus on that. But this week, I was thinking about what other things am I seeing in reviewing Israel that maybe we could talk about. And looked at the landscape. I saw the deserts in Israel. The wilderness, saw you know the, the waters, the Sea of Galilee, the Sea, the Jordan. But my my mind kept going back to the mountains of Israel. The mountains of Israel. Because it seems to me that whenever God wants to give us often hard headed humans, right? Often stubborn humans a message that we won't forget, an event that we won't forget, he uses a mountain as a big exclamation point. Boom. This is what I want you to remember and never forget. So I was drawn to the mountains. One mountain. So if I asked you, biblical events, God used mountains, exclamation points. What might come to your mind? Ten commandments. commandments, Absolutely. Matter of fact, the first picture I was going to show up was Mount Sinai. This is where God gathered the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. They gathered at the base of this mountain. And in, in Exodus... We read this from this account about what happened at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was covered in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Amazing display of Mount Sinai, the power of God, Moses speaking, God answers him. The people gathered at that mountain that day before Moses went to get the Ten Commandments heard the voice of God. But that's not the mountain I thought we'd talk about. Another mountain that somebody might have mentioned or thought of was Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is this mountain in Israel, and that is where we read the account in 1 Kings about Elijah. Elijah The strong, great prophet of God who single-handedly, through God's assistant, took on 450 prophets of the false god Baal in the culture at the time and made fun of them and humiliated them and jeered at them and then defeated them. 450 verses 1. And then Elijah, of course, killed them um, because they were influencing the culture and his people and he was calling them to repentance. But that, Mount Carmel, is not the mountain that we talk about either today. The mountain I thought we'd talk about is Mount Tabor. And Mount Tabor is this mountain in Israel. And this is where we read an account in Matthew, which we're going to be reading shortly, about the transfiguration. Now, transfiguration, let's set the scene before we see, talk about this mountain of transfiguration. Jesus' time left on earth here is short. It won't be but just a couple days following, a week or so following this account, where he's going to be handed over to the authorities. He's going to be beaten, he's going to be scourged, he's going to be nailed to a cross and he's going to die for your sins and mine only to rise again, praise God right But that's going to happen shortly So this is right before that account and the Transfiguration he wants to get he wants to show Peter, James and John something in, something special. He wants to make sure that this mountain is going to put a big exclamation point on his teaching to them and so he takes them up the mountain. Tabor for the transfiguration. Also, six days prior to this, Peter made his important confession. And we've all said it, most of us have said it too. When Jesus said, Who do you say I am? And Peter said, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Six days before that, Peter made the con- confession. We lead up, boom, transfiguration. Special purpose. Special mission, special teaching. And what he taught them that day on the mountain, folks, we can also learn from today in 2015. And that's going to be our goal. So let's dig into the scripture. This account occurs in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 3. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them high led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before him. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So notice what happens. Jesus takes the three, Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, up the mountain. And we don't see in this account any big sermon, right? He's not telling them a lot of theological Essentials at this point, he is simply transfigured before them. They reach a certain spot, maybe the pinnacle, maybe a plateau, and Jesus starts to be transfigured. His face shines like the sun. And when I read this, I thought back to my childhood days and maybe yours, when mom always told me, don't go stare at the sun, right? Or there's an eclipse and they say, don't stare at the sun, it'll burn your eyeballs. Well, as a kid, what do you do? Yeah, you do the opposite, right? So you have to try it. Only for a couple seconds, and you can't anymore. The sun is too bright. And that's the descriptive word, phrase, that we see here describing Jesus' transfiguration. His face shone like the sun. His clothes were as white as light. His glory, his radiance, his holiness is starting to be shown to the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And then, when you know, on the scene appears two men, Moses and Elijah, Now, how they knew it was Moses and Elijah, we don't really know, because they didn't have pictures of Moses and Elijah up on their walls back then, 2,000 years ago, right? But they knew. They knew somehow Moses and Elijah. The important thing is not how they knew it was Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. It's what those two people represent. So, Moses represents what? Moses was the one who brought the, the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the Promised Land, or right up to the Promised Land. Led them out of slavery. Moses was considered, what, the father of the Israelite nation. Moses was considered the law. We just saw a picture of Mount Sinai. Read the account right before Moses went up and got the Ten Commandments. Moses is often, when we see about and read about the Mosaic law, that's what he's associated with, the law. So we have Moses representing the law. We have Elijah, who we also just talked about a minute ago. Elijah representing the prophets. What the prophets do, constantly called Israel back to repentance, right? You guys have strayed. Prophet comes on the scene. Jeremiah, Isaiah, um, Elijah. Come back to God. Come back to God. They're constantly calling people back. And they are prophesying about the Messiah, the future King of Kings. That was what the prophets said. And this is what Elijah is representing on this mountain. As Jesus is being transfigured, he's talking to Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophets. Let's read on. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped him. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. I've never really pictured Peter as a loss for words, at a loss for words. I always pictured Peter as... You know, Pentecost, preaching great sermons, strength, boldness. But the Gospel of Mark says Peter said this because he did not know what to say. And we probably wouldn't either. Think about it. We're there. What are you going to say to something like that? I mean, it's Moses, Elijah, Jesus being transferred. uh, Lord, can I build three shelters? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, when I read that word shelters, could this be his motivation? He says, it is good for us to be here. Man, it is good. Moses, my hero. Elijah, my hero. It's good for me to be here to learn from them. Can I build a shelter and stay a while? I want to stay here for a while with Moses, my hero, Elijah, and you. And let's just sit down and be together. And that might have been his motivation. But what I like is that while he was still speaking, I mean, the thoughts hadn't even... Start still formulating in his mind, right, of what he's going to say. And while he's talking, boom, God comes out and God says, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Let's read on to what happens next. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched him. Get up, he said, Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Their reaction is the reaction we see so often throughout the Bible. When somebody comes into the presence of the God of the universe, the glory of God is so great, they, boom, face down on the ground. Isaiah, a prophet we mentioned earlier, another great prophet like Elijah, had a relationship with God, right? Called people back to repentance, communicated with God. God used him as a tool. When he, when Isaiah was ushered into the presence of God, we read where he says, "Woe is me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the the King, the Lord Almighty." Isaiah, when he's ushered into the presence of God. Woe is me, I'm dead. I am dead. My eyes have seen him. And this is what happened on that mountain that we saw about earlier. These guys face down. And Jesus comes and touches them and says, don't be afraid. And they look up. Moses is gone. Elijah is gone. My hero. The law. The temple. What I've built my life around. The law. Moses. Gone. It's just Jesus. We know that Jesus came to fulfill the law. He filled every letter of the law. These Jews, they put that together. Moses, gone. Elijah, the prophets, gone. No more messianic prophecies needed about the coming king, the coming Messiah. He's there. He's standing right there. No more need for prophets. We don't need him anymore. Gone. Jesus has come. He's standing right in front of them. Right? They realize this. And Jesus says, get up, don't be afraid. That's what happened on that mountain many years ago to the disciples. And what they learned from that is what we can learn from that too today. So let's break it down into two main areas that I think that what Jesus was trying to show them. The first first was the special mission for, that Jesus had for them that day was simply this. Please see the real me. I'm going to go show you the real Jesus We've walked together for three and a half years. You have seen me with little kids on my lap. right? You've ate dinner with me. You've, you, 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 we've, we've, we've hung out. We've done everything on this earth together. Now I'm going to show you the real me. I'm going to show you the last thing, glass window. I'm going to show you who I really am. That was the message to them that morning on Mount Tabor. That, hey, yes, you can touch me. I have flesh just like you. But inside me, inside me, Peter, James, and John, is the living, eternal God. I'm God in the flesh. That's what Jesus was trying to show him. He was transfigured to prove it. And that is the the heart of what we need to believe as Christians. It's the heart of Christianity. It's the heart of our faith that Jesus is God in human flesh and died for our sins on the cross. And it's now a free gift to us to accept. Through, through faith and through the grace of God. He needed to drive that point home. It's our foundation, too. You know, we've mentioned before, C.S. Lewis says, your how you think of Jesus is one of three things, right? He's either a liar, and somehow he lied to us and made this account up on the mountain that is now documented for us. He's a liar. He's either a lunatic, because the claims he made about himself, if somebody was coming around our church today or the country today making those claims we might he would be a lunatic most likely but Jesus wasn't he's Lord just three options he's either liar he's a lunatic or he's Lord and through his miracles and through everything he's done we know that he is Lord how powerful was this that they got to see the real Jesus the eternal Jesus how powerful was it well, 35 years later, 35 years later, that's like going back to 1980 for you and me. So where were you? What were you doing in 1980? You know, think of an event. Did something happen in Maybe you weren't even born. I don't know. But some 1980. It was there an event that happened in 1980 that drove your living your everyday life every day since then. Probably not. Thirty five years later, Peter writes this in Second Peter. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Peter never forgot it. John, another one of the three that was there that saw this, saw the real Jesus. John, what did he do? 35 years later, here's what he wrote-ish. Here's what he wrote in the beginning of his gospel. John, chapter 1, 1 through 3. And I'll substitute, if you don't mind, Jesus for the word. In the beginning, this is what he wrote and he was there. In the beginning was the word, Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus, the word was with God and the word Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning through him. Jesus, all things were made without him. Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Verse 14, the word Jesus became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory there on that mountain. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. To me, as a Christian, that is the most powerful introduction to any book in the world because he was there. And, you know, the beautiful thing about that is that John Wynn writes the rest of his gospel. That was just the first couple sentences. John writes the rest of his gospel so he can teach us about the one he saw transfigured on the mountain that day. All things were made through him. that's what he said about Jesus, about the one we pray to. All things were made through through him. Is the earth, is that all things? Is the earth in that category? All things were created through, through him, through Jesus. The earth is, right? I mean, so do you realize that every day we're, you know, I'm, I'm right now, I'm walking, you're sitting, somebody's probably jogging right now on a great big ball. Every day we're, we're driving to work, we're playing soccer, we're, we're eating dinner, we're swimming, we're having fun, we're doing whatever, on a great big ball, floating through space at a thousand miles an hour, no matter where we are on that ball, whatever we're doing, we're flying through space at a thousand miles an hour. And Jesus did that. Through him all things were created. And as we approach the sun, we're flying towards the sun at 1,000 miles an hour on our little ball, flying through space. And the sun is huge. Did you know that 1.3 million earths fit inside the sun? That's how big our sun is. And 1.3 million earths fit inside of it. We're flying towards it 1,000 miles an hour. Jesus created the sun. He did all that. His face shone like it that day on the mountain. And he created it. It's amazing, the universe, and to know that Christ was there. Christ, Jesus was there. You know, if you open up the very first couple pages of the Bible, Genesis 1-1. How does Genesis 1-1, without even looking at it, how does it start? In the beginning. Very first three words of the Bible. In the beginning. What did we just read? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. The whole book is about Christ and his salvation plan through him, through the cross for us. It's amazing. And if that wasn't enough this morning to kind of touch your heart a little bit, or at least just think of things in some different ways. How about this last scripture reference from Philippians chapter two, Paul, when Paul is given his gospel of grace, this is a gift from God. Paul writes this about Jesus, who, being in very nature God, as we just read, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. To the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, who was there in the beginning, who created everything. Right? Every knee is going to bow to him someday, folks. Every knee is going to bow to that man. that eternal Son of God, God the Son. Every knee is going to bow to Him. The great thing, when we receive grace, we have faith in what He did for us, is that we're going to bow, but we're going to get up and He's going to give us a big hug, right? We're going to get up and He's going to give us mm, a great big hug. And that's why we pray for our unsaved loved ones. Because they're not going to get a hug. They're going to realize that they missed it. And has eternal consequences. Point two. He shows us his divinity. Now what's next? How about what God the Father said about God the Son? This is my Son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's the second point of the day. Hear him, another translation said. So the question is, how do we listen to him? How do we hear him? Well, I think that what we're doing right now, what we do every Sunday morning, is a great way to listen to Jesus, right? Songs we sing in the morning. We sing praise songs. Lee's mentioned to me a couple times that there's a couple songs like Ancient Words. He really likes. That song speaks to him. Some of the songs today might be one that you really, really like. It speaks to you. And you listen through that song. You listen to Jesus. What's he trying to say? We come to prayer time and we're communicating You know, Jesus is speaking to our spirit. We come to sermon time. We hear a super great, wonderful, fabulous, even awesome sermon. Right? (laughs) We come to that part of our service and we hear a great message that we listen. We get done with the message. We come to communion and we listen. We hear him through the table, right? through the juice, through his blood that was shed, through the bread for his body that was broken. Church, obviously, but you know, the thing is, is that it's one hour, and the week is 168 hours long. And that's one hour. So how do we then listen to Jesus you know, for the other 167 hours? How do we do that? Well, I think it's pretty evident, and we all know the answer, it's pretty evident that it's through the word. Today we listen to Jesus through our eyeballs, right? We hear him through our eyes. We read the scriptures that show us and tell us about Jesus. That's what we do. And and if we're if we're sliding, if we're getting a little bit to where we're not listening to him enough, then as a church we present you with opportunities to do that. Right? Every Wednesday this fall we're going to be meeting around the ping-pong table with one purpose. And that is to study the scriptures. To come and hear. This is my beloved son, whom I love. Listen to him. We want to listen. So we're going to study some scriptures every Wednesday night around the ping-pong table. And you are welcome to join us. Right? On Thursday nights, there's, there's going to be studies for couples, essentially. In essence. Or essentially, whatever that word is. In essence. Women from the church are going to gather and study a a book, Walking as Jesus Walked, right? And then the next week, the men are going to study it. So there's always somebody home with the kids. And next week, the women are going to study it. The next week, the men are going to study it, etc. And occasionally, we're going to come together, husbands and wives all in the same room, group, talk about it. And at home, I'm going to be able to talk to Tina about it as we're studying it together. We're going to try to hear Jesus through this guided study. And it's going to be on Thursday nights. That's how we can listen to him. You know, I've, there's no look. I'm I'm by far perfect by far, far, far. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm just like you. We're all in the same boat here that we go through life and we have moments where we're close and we have moments when we're not. And we have moments when we're close and we have moments when we're not. And we're just like this. And when you think about these type of moments down here, what are we doing? When I look back to my life what am I doing I'm getting distracted I'm getting distracted by the world I'm getting distracted by things that have zero eternal value I mean nothing I'm getting distracted by stuff that is dumb and worldly it's not going to further my relationship with the king of the universe the creator God in any way at all and I'm being distracted and I'm not listening to Jesus in those moments you know it's hard to listen to Jesus when you're at a R-rated movie or something like that, or even PG-13 anymore. But I, I did. I get distracted with life, with kids, with running them to sports, with with entertaining myself, with you know, it's a two-hour TV show, zero eternal value. And I'm sitting there watching it, right? Or, or, you know, whatever recreation. However, I can entertain myself. I guess when it becomes about me too much, then I'm not listening enough. I've been there. We've all been there. But what the key? It's simple. What Jesus is telling his disciples that morning and us today is that this is the real me that we saw earlier. Now, just simply listen to me, and let's do it by getting into the Word routinely. Right? Not out of love. I'm not trying to be legalistic. Okay. Excuse me. Not out of love. Not out of legalism. I'm not trying to be legalistic. But I'm trying to say out of love. right? It's not, our walk with Christ is not a checking a bunch of boxes. right? It's a, it's a response to the love of the cross. And if you love Jesus, then we're going to be listening and spending time with him. You know, it's one of the little, just a couple words in that passage that really kind of struck me is, Whom I love. This is my son, whom I love. God the Father loves God the Son, immeasurably, probably in in a depth of love that our human minds can't even understand, whom I love. He loves Jesus. He loves God the Son. And I'm just saying I want to grow in that love with my Christ too, right? And I want to listen to him and hear him. So. I guess the final point as we lead into our communion song is oh and by the way if, if if they ask you what you learned in church today those are the two main points see the real christ in your life see him for who he is the eternal god of the universe is jesus and he died for you that's the first point the second point is just let's listen to him let's do what god told us to do on that mountain that day let's listen to him routinely because there's no really, there's no more comforting, more more um, more refreshing voice in the whole universe for us to listen to than Jesus. He wants to make our joy complete, and we listen to him, our joy is made complete, and worldly things start to subside. There's a lot of competition. For that voice, right? There's a lot of competition, a lot of distractions in the world, as we talked about. And Jesus is saying, Listen to me. So I just challenge you this morning as we get to this next song, and you think of the words. The words, it's, we sing it often, it's, I surrender all. Is there something that we're holding on to that's keeping us from hearing Him, from listening to Him, right? And let's surrender it this morning at the foot of the cross. Let's do a serious evaluation and surrender our all to Jesus Christ. The Lord of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Prince of glory, right? Everlasting, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. This is the Jesus we worship. This is the real Jesus. So let's surrender our lives to him this morning as we sing.